Hello, parent friends. Welcome to Parent Toolbox. I am your host, Joanna Jesperson, and it is my pleasure and my joy to be with you and to continue our conversation on an amazing parenting book called The Life-Giving Parent by Clay and Sally Clarkson. We are going through this book all summer, and we are now on chapter five, and the title is Renewing Your Child's Mind. So we are going through each chapter one week at a time, and beginning back in chapter one, we talked about it's the title, Someone's Gotta Give, and then chapter two, you can probably hear me flipping my pages. I am literally looking at my book as I talk. Chapter two is the first heartbeat. So chapter one really was the introduction. Chapter two begins with numbering our child's days. And you can go back on an earlier podcast for that. It was an excellent chapter to begin. And then chapter three is nurturing your child's spirit. And then last time we talked about guarding our child's heart. So today we are now on renewing our child's mind. I don't know about you, but if you are following along with me and whether or not you have the book, it doesn't matter um, because the information is so good. I mean, obviously this is geared for our kids um, and applying these truths to our children, but it is so good for you and me as parents, because there may be some of us that have not even really dove into these subjects, even for our own spiritual walks. And so I know for me, it has been encouraging. It has been challenging and it has really helped me personally, just as a, a wife and as a, yes, as a mom, but just as a person um, who loves Jesus. And so Of course, as a person who loves Jesus, I am then going to be able to translate that into motherhood and into being a wife. And so I am just so thrilled that we are able to walk through this book together this summer. So we are on chapter five called Renewing Your Child's Mind. And it begins with the verse Romans 12, 2. And it says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I just want to jump on in. Um, You know, the Clarksons are really big on the family and gathering around the table. In fact, Sally Clarkson wrote a book specifically on um, the family table. And it's called The Life-Giving Table. She has The Life-Giving Parent, The Life-Giving Home, and then she also has a book called The Life-Giving Table. And I do not personally have that book, but I really do want to look into getting that book um, because there's so much biblical truth and encouragement in in the other books that I have by her. And so um, she just really touches lightly on that book by saying that um, in the spirit of Moses's mandate for Israel in the Shema, which we had talked about already a couple of um, episodes back, that directed us as families to teach our children, um, they, the Clarksons, looked for opportunities to train their children's brains 
um, while sitting at home or walking, going to bed, getting up, just like in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, where it says in the as you wake up and as you go down, as you go out and as you come in. And so they are talking about how important for them the family table was in order to renew and teach their children's minds and their brains. And so it says in the life-giving table, Sally explores how the table was in many ways the heart of our family life, the place where um, as followers of Christ, we were engaged in the renewing of the mind of our children. Um, we, we resonate with Leonard Sweet in his book, From Tablet to Table, quote, For Jesus, the home is not what defines the table. The table is what defines the home. So think about the family table for a minute. There is a physical unity when all sit at the table together infused with the experiential unity of sharing a meal together. And that dynamic fosters a naturally interactive setting, looking at each other, engaging in conversation and serving one another. Taken all together, the table creates an anchor, a way for family members to be together. I love that visual. If you can, if you can imagine a table with the center part coming down to the floor and just visualize it being an anchor. That's beautiful, you know, and, and I've never really thought that deeply about how important the family table is, but I really like that challenge that they use the family table as the way to help their children, quote, renew their mind um, in Romans 12, 2. And it says, whenever we could, we ate at the table together. We simply refused to give in to the American norm that considers meals a little more than necessary fueling stops between other more important activities. According to some statistics, the average time spent at the dinner table has shrunk from 90 minutes in the middle of the last century to less than 12 minutes today. Only enough time to eat and run but certainly not to discuss and engage. The popular television police procedural Blue Bloods uh, provides a picture of commitment to the family table that is noteworthy because it is such an uncommon experience for most families. And maybe that is um, partly the American culture. Um, I know I, I grew up as a child in Brazil, and that culture is very very um, family-oriented as far as meals, um, sitting down, not rushing. It was all about that time. And I grew up that way, um, seeing that and being in that culture. And and yet I am a part of American culture today and have been for many, many years now. Um, and I, I realize and I personally acknowledge um, how fast-paced we are whether we want to be or not, um, it can be an issue with with time spent with family. You know, I know for, for my personal family, we do sit at the table and have meals pretty much every night. Um, our kids are still relatively young and they're not involved in too, too many things that require us to be gone every night like some families. But it's still a challenge. It really is a challenge to all sit and to not be ready or anxious to be on to the next thing. And so I know that is a mindset, even for my own family, 
um, that I acknowledge, that I personally know that can be an issue with um, communicating and having that time to really connect, you know, and connect not just on a, hey, what did you do today kind of thing, but to talk about the Lord and to talk about his word and what we're learning and what we need help with and all of those things. And so this chapter is devoted to what is referred to as renewing our mind, renewing our child's mind. And what does that even mean, really? You know, many of us who are Christians know the verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, we are very familiar with those verses, you know, um, And yet, do we really understand what that term or phrase, renewing our mind, really means? And so hopefully, by the end of this episode, we will have a better understanding of what that means and what we can do, not only for ourselves, but for our children in this regard. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the actual passage, and then we'll see about how we can apply it to ourselves and to our kids. So Paul in Romans, he was concerned about more so our spiritual mind than obviously our our brain, our physical physical mind, Um, which our spiritual mind is the quality of our inner person that enables us to believe in Jesus. It enables us to love and obey God. It enables us to love others. It enables us to understand biblical truths. It enables us to assess error and resist sin and choose righteousness, and it enables us to do God's will. That is our spiritual mind. Um, That is something so cool to think about now that we kind of know what is our spiritual mind? What does that mean? And I want to repeat it again. I think it's, it's, it's worth repeating. Our spiritual mind is the quality of our inner person that enables us to one, believe in Jesus, to love and obey God, to love others, to understand biblical truth, to assess error, to to resist sin and choose righteousness. And then finally, to do God's will. You know, so many times, especially younger people, um, when I was in college ministry, for example, there were so many times where young girls would come to me and we would meet regularly and and they would be worried or wanting to know, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know? You know, and, and they wanted to, they wanted an easy answer or they wanted to be able to do this and this and then be able to know or to look to a certain verse and then be able to know. And this right here is the answer for knowing God's will. It's It's a spiritual thing. You are going to know God's will when your mind is renewed spiritually. When you are transformed in your mind and you are seeing through spiritual eyes, that is how you are going to know God's will. If you are far from God or you are not in his word or you're just, you know, maybe reading a verse a day to keep the devil away kind of thing, you're not going to necessarily know God's will. You might know what's good to do you know, because you're a Christian or, um, you know, right and wrong, that kind of thing. But, but to really know God's will for your life and how he wants to use you and your giftings and so on, that is going to be through the spiritual renewing of your mind, which means you are 
going to the word. You are working on your your walk with the Lord and your prayer life and all those things. And so, um, yeah, so that is how we are going to find God's will. We get hung up on that, don't we, sometimes? And we, we are afraid we might miss it. Well, good news. I'm here to say that if you're doing all these things, you're not going to miss God's will. He is going to make that very clear to you. And so in that verse, um, Romans 12, 2, the first part that says not be conformed to this world, it sounds negative. It is a negative. It's telling us what not to do. So Paul essentially here, he's shouting, stop letting the times in which you live shape how you think. Stop letting today's culture shape how you think. So we are doing that sometimes, right? We And, and maybe even subtly, maybe we're not even um, fully aware that it's happening, but culture can tend to shape us if we're not if we're not careful. Paul is saying that we must make a conscious choice to stop being influenced by the isms that define our time. Like for example, relativism, materialism, postmodernism, spiritualism, hedonism, atheism, and whateverism. Whatever is good for you is good for you, you know, that kind of thing. Redeeming our minds as parents starts with some stopping. So stop conforming to this world, he's saying. The second command is positive, and it goes right to the heart of what we as parents want to do. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So instead of passively being conformed to the world, Paul is saying for us to actively let God transform our minds. We're not passively letting the world tell us what to think and how to how to do things. We are actively pursuing God and letting him or asking him to transform us, to transform our mind, our spiritual mind. So how does this transformation occur? You know, that's probably the question of the day. How do we do this? How does it work? Right? It happens when we choose to renew our minds to make our conformed thinking new again. We need to continually, daily, be asking God to renew our thinking, to take away the old, whatever is it is that has settled in that day that is not of the Lord, and ask Him to renew us again. And that may be daily. It might be every day. It might be several times a day. But to to be new again with God's truth. To renew means exactly what you think that it should mean. To make new by the Spirit. So since renewing the mind is the spiritual juice that makes transformation happen, we also need to get a better mental handle on what Paul means by the mind. He uses the term noose, which along with its derivatives, primarily focuses on ability to grasp and understand the revealed will of God. So Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. So transforming by the renewing of our mind. So why are we going to do this? Why do we need 
to be thinking about renewing our mind. It isn't just to be spiritual or to please God, although it it is certainly both, but it's also to prove that his will is good, to prove that his will is genuine, the real thing in the corrupt world that we live in. The NIV says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the word perfect here, it it actually needs to be translated as complete or whole. So God's will is everything it is meant to be and to accomplish. So they go on into the chapter and they talk about four signs of being a disciple of Christ. And they use kind of an analogy or a way for us to think about using um, traffic signs that you would see on a road. So the signs are, the four signs are yield, yield to God, stop, stop the world, go, go to the word, and then show the way. So I just want to briefly talk about each of these four because these are the signs of a disciple. And, and, and you know, when you drive and you see these signs, maybe it kind of triggers, oh, that, that reminds me of this. And so the first one is to yield. So renewing our child's mind at home starts with the idea of yielding or presenting our life to God. So it's a concrete image of an abstract idea that we owe allegiance to Christ. True faith in Christ is not just a mental belief, it's a physical allegiance. It's a kind of a stand with Jesus faith. And it's best demonstrated by us, the parents. Um, You know, we don't just wanna talk spiritual things, but we wanna live out our relationship with the Lord for others to see and especially for our children to see. So Paul calls the idea of yielding to God our spiritual service of worship. In other words, we are truly presenting our lives to Christ. Then it is reasonable for us to respond with service and worship. So that's Romans 12, 1 and 2. So our spiritual act of of worship, yielding to God. And then our second is to stop the world. So when our, when our children were young, um, the Clarksons, the idea of conforming to the world for them was mostly about like childhood materialism, Disney-fied escapism, and me-first kid hedonism. As they got older and began to be exposed to other worldviews and philosophies, we often needed to talk through the various isms that challenged their Christian beliefs. So... Being deliberate about countering the influences of the time in which we live will help us renew our minds and our children's. So stopping and being deliberate about countering those influences, you know, as our children um, are with us, you know, and we pick up on the things that they are being exposed to when they're not at home, to immediately be countering that if necessary. Um, with the word of God, you know, gently encouraging them and gently um, asking them to think about what God says and sharing with them what God says and talking it through, especially as they get older, you know, having that dialogue. 
I know even my own oldest daughter who's going into fifth grade, I can now, it's been several years now, but I can now have a conversation with her about spiritual things on a deeper level than I could a couple years ago. And it, I would think as, as you are opening those doors for those conversations that you can continue that and go even deeper as your child gets older. And so having those avenues and those um, ways and times built into your daily and weekly lives, just like they talked about at the table, you know, allowing a meal to be the place where you can really just connect in those ways and to, if necessary, to counter what the world is, is, is saying to them. The third one is to go to the word. And so this is the most comfortable of the four signs, but it's, it's actually not always easy to follow. So Paul commands us as believers to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that renewal comes from God's word. Part of going to the word of God to renew our child's minds is beginning with a reality check of what the Bible is and is not and what it does and does not do. The Bible is not a magical book that will change your child if you only apply a few choice verses or read the story of a relevant Bible character, nor is it a textbook for Christian living to be learned only for sword drills, Bible club, and Sunday school quizzes. It is especially not a source of God words for you to use to inject guilt, shame, or fear into your child's minds. It helps to remember how the Bible itself refers to itself. So in Hebrews 4.12, it says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. The Bible is God's revelation to us, revealing his heart and mind so we can know him and his ways and his will so we can please him. His inspired word, you know, it's God-breathed. It changes us through his Holy Spirit, allowing us to be useful in his service. His living and active word convicts us and guides us because the Spirit of God works through the words of God. For all these reasons, the Bible is what can renew our minds. It can make us new and transform us into the likeness of Jesus. It is not just what we will use as parents, but also what God will use through us to renew our child's minds. That is so good. That is so good. And that was on page 93. And the last one before we close is to show the way. So let me go back and refresh ourselves. The first one was yield to God. The second one was stop the world. The third was go to the word. And then the fourth and last one is show the way. The final sign is like the big green directional sign on the highway that helps lead you to your destination. They show the way ahead. If you have yielded your life to God to serve and worship him, stop to let the world tell you how and what to think and started going to the word to renew your mind, 
then your life should consequently become living proof that you're headed in the right direction, that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Of all the heartbeats of life-giving parenting, this one, renewing our child's minds, arguably requires the most from us as parents. Our children, whether they are young and immature or beginning to mature as young teens, will be looking to you and me, not just to understand what it means to have a redeemed mind, but also to see what it means to live out a redeemed mind. We can learn and we can read all we want, but if we're not living it out, what good is it, right? What good is it? Um, Just like that verse that says, faith without works is dead. So we can all have faith, but what do we do with that faith to really make it alive? And so that is what we have today um, for chapter five, renewing our child's mind. Um, I hope that that has blessed you today and encouraged you to seek the Lord hard today as a parent, as a wife, as a, as a, as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, and that we would all continue walking this journey together. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope y'all have a blessed day as you continue parenting your children in the Lord. God bless and we'll see, we'll hear from you and we will join you hopefully next time. Bye-bye.